whenever you want, like, you could begin this thing that we're not doing. So, just hypothetically, I'd be like, Welcome back to Pick a Vinyl with Jason and Kate, brought to you by Warren Music Pro and On Deck Integrated Communications. Boo! <laughs> I've never done that before. Why are you... <laughs> Why'd you, why'd you boo us? I, I booed your company. Just, oh. yeah, just on deck, I see. That kind of hurts my feelings. Oh, good, good. Hey, yeah. we just turned three years old. Oh, congratulations. I actually did not know that. Thanks. Congratulations. Yeah. And Wild. Best of luck to be gotten better things as time continues to move forward. Well, I appreciate what I think you said. Let's see. <laughs> no that's awesome i didn't write wow three years that's crazy that's, that does not seem like three years i know it doesn't to me either and i honestly didn't remember until twitter reminded me twitter remind remember that song yeah I wrote twitter it. remind hand in me yeah Beautiful, oh, this beautiful rendition. Welcome to the phenomenal vocal run podcast with Jason and Kane. <laughs> well, thank you, Jason. We didn't get together last week because I was working NFL draft things, which was very fun. But I did miss hearing myself talk <laughs> a lot. Yeah, you're, that makes one of us. I missed nothing else about Fridays, but I did miss that so i am glad to get back to it today that yeah that makes one of us so i did miss you i just i could hug you i could smooch you <laughs> i could give you a big old kiss ah uh, oh hey hey speaking of kiss oh, God. you wanna you wanna talk about this this uh this band called kiss yeah this is gonna be a, an emotional roller coaster it is. There, there's a lot of feelings. <laughs> it's similar a little bit to the Def Leppard one, I think. But there was more meat on the bone <laughs> before and after, actually. Oh, I disagree. Oh, I totally disagree. What do you mean? There, you're, you're saying, are you saying there's more meat on the bone of the Def Leppard stuff before they went cuckoo? No. Oh. I mean, as I mean, there were more Kiss albums, at least for me, that I oh. I really loved. Oh, and more oh. Kiss I albums. thought you were saying about Def Leppard. I no, was like, no, I was no, like, no, no. Let's, you know, let's go. Let's let's boomify this. Oh, like, it's a deeper betrayal, is what I feel. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I feel like in some ways. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I look at Kiss as a betrayal. I look at it more as I think I feel like they just got lost. I mean. Because there was a degree of marketing that went along with them from from the beginning, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the marketing and the kitschy aspect of it definitely took hold somewhere around 1980. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do have to talk about the fact that they have 30 gold albums and 14 platinum albums. Their discography has certainly withstood the test of time, even if musically the integrity has not held up if that's a, a fair way to say it but it is from a industry success standpoint outside of the artistic success undeniable the impact that they've made and continue to have it's just bananas 
But we're going to talk about their self-titled album today, which yeah. rules. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what Angba says. No, it's a great album. And I feel like there's a lot of people that, um, you know, we've talked about the power of nostalgia that almost look at this with the power of nostalgia and then they put it on and are like, wait a minute. No, this is a great album. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic from front to back. And um, I what I hear is an incredible amount of the catchiness that they held on to probably the whole time. But with what you always call, like, it had some balls to it. It had some real yeah. grit and authenticity to it, which disappeared later. But on this album, just runs from front to back. And I feel like it's a really diverse album, too, where I feel like I hear I hear bluesy kind of riffs in a lot of it. I hear pure rock and roll in a lot of it. And it's a, especially as the weather's getting nicer. What a what a fun driving album too! My goodness. Oh yeah. It was the best. I did all my proper listens, but I always give a listen on my way here about whatever album we're doing. And I had the windows down and the sunroof open, listening to this, just blasting cold gin. Was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> oh, what an amazing song! A lot of good songs, and we'll get into the track listing. But yes, we will. Let's uh, let's talk about this album as a whole. And there's kind of like, I think, this natural split of like kiss the early days and then kiss the later days, which we see with some face paint and some uh, cast member changes. But as far as where this album sits in the time period that came out, um, it's just got to be up there with one of the most classic rock, rock albums of all time. Right. This came out in 1974. Yeah. I it just uh, I, I I don't want to say maybe this album is underrated because of what happened to the rest of their career. Yeah, um, you know I'm not gonna put it up with Dark Side of the Moon or Quadrophenia or Exile Main Street or you know I mean you could go on for days you know the White Album or you know what people consider those those legendary classic um, albums. Uh, what I would call it is a real kick-ass rock album. And um, like you said, it had balls and I it felt authentic to me and it still does. Like that one still does to me. I go and hear Strutter like, come on, man. Oh, I love Strutter. Like who, who, I feel like you'd be lying if you're a guitar player and, and say you, you, you don't wish you wrote that riff. Like, I mean, the riff is sick. You know, there are tons of incredible riffs on that record. And, um, you know, what, yeah, like I said, what I, what I put it up there with, you know, I mean, Dark Side came out a couple of years earlier. Um, you know, uh, what Houses of the Holy probably came out right around that Jeez. time, you know, so I don't know if I would put it up there, you know, and, uh, Rush is starting to do stuff too. I'm trying to think what, where they were at. Were they at like, well, they were early at that point. They would have been early. I'm trying to think. Was that is was twenty one twelve ish? You know, so there were definitely people doing things on you know what I would have considered uh, a you know a higher level as far as evolution or moving music forward. But I you said it before like they celebrated that old what what had by that time really been that old time rock and roll feeling. Um, which I think a lot of people were moving away from in the seventies and they sort of embraced it. There was 
a lot of that almost 50s feel, but like mixed with this like Zeppelin ferocity, ferocity or, or uh, you know, the, you, you take a, a ballsy Zeppi kind of riff and combine it with this sort of old time rock and rolly feeling. It was, you know, it was different. It was different than what you were hearing, I think, at the time. Right. So maybe not as transformative as something like a dark side. That's for sure. I don't think it's as maybe emotive or artistic in a sense, I guess. But as far as like a classic up the middle rock album, it certainly does its job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's this? I'm trying to. Sorry, I'm, I'm pulling up. You better be sorry. I'm pulling up the Kiss discography. Was this their first album? Yeah. This was. Okay, I thought so. Just wanted to make sure, because they do have a lot of albums. Yeah. Um, I think after that, they did Hotter Than Hell, right? Let's pull up this this quick run. Holy cow. Man, this is another Really, one. I, I stopped somewhere around Dynasty. That's right around there is, I think, where I kind of drew the line for them. So they the self-titer... <laughs> self-titer? The self-titled Hotter Than Hell, Dressed to Kill. Dressed to Kill. Like, so Hotter Than Hell was a little bit of a step back. Uh, Dressed to Kill, I felt. Dressed to Kill was awesome. Yeah. Destroyer. Destroyer is awesome. Rock and Roll All Over. Rock and Roll All Over is awesome. Love Gun. Love Gun is fantastic. The Alive 2, which was a live album. (coughs) Which is an amazing live album, by the way. I need to actually go back and listen to that. Wait, that was when I skipped. So I why do they have a live two there? A live one came out earlier. They didn't have that. That came out in seventy five. Sorry, they uh, oh, Spotify okay. is a little all over the place. Dynasty came out in seventy nine, and then Unmasked came out yeah, no, in no, eighty. No. Yeah, yeah, no, that there, and I was right, nineteen eighty. Yep, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. The uh... and then music for the elders or whatever. Oh my goodness gracious! Seriously, guys, Raleigh. Music from the Elder, Creatures of the Night, Lick It Up, Animal Eyes. Whew. So the, I loved not only the certainty with which you were like, yeah, no, no, no. It was like visceral if you're in the room to see how um, it was like a switch. It was a switch that went off. Yeah. And it, se- <laughs> it almost seemed like that from being a, you know, a, a worldly five-year-old. Um, and, uh, you know, I had an aunt that was uh i she's 10 years older than me and she was always incredible to us kids and uh we we obviously really looked up to her and she was always around and just a great aunt and she was so she was 10 years older than me so you figure in 1980 she was a sophomore in high school or something and uh she introduced to all three of us as a matter of fact she used to like i one halloween we all dressed up um, as Kiss, I don't remember what year that was. That probably literally was. I'm not even kidding. I was probably four or five, but I like have memory of it because it was so much fun. Kiss was like a huge, very, very important part of my childhood. Um, it was the first thing that I felt like uh, musically that like everybody, like the family, was all celebrating it together. And I'm not even sure why, but it was like my mom didn't seem. It was like. Most of the things that I chose to listen to and, you know, uh, you know, my my mom would have a problem with. <laughs> um, and I don't know if it's because my aunt was listening or or, you know, because if you looked at them, especially back then with Gene Simmons, with the blood coming out of his mouth and the 
Um, you know, the, <clears throat> the lyrics are all about sex and drinking and, you know, partying and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm kind of surprised when I look back to think that that was like one of the rare things that I was like allowed to listen to. And it was like even celebrated and, you know, and in case anybody wonders like how absolutely enormous they were like in the late seventies, when I think of, you know, the late seventies, I don't remember really any of because I, I, you know, I was five in 1980, but like the very few memories that I have are almost entirely about kiss. Um, and, um, you know, I do remember just, you know, my, I think it was my aunt that kind of like let me in on the, well, they took their masks off and it didn't really work. And I'm worried this is going in a, in a bad direction. Um, and then when Peter Chris and, uh, and Ace Frilly, you know, left or, you know, there are a million stories. It was like, okay, so why are you bothering? That was a, a thing when when you're taught about situations like Led Zeppelin where John Bonham dies and well the band's over and um you know uh you know it's kind of like well how how do you how do you do that like you, you know it just didn't seem like a thing and now it's a lot more commonplace but it just didn't seem like a thing <clears throat> like I've always admired um Led Zeppelin's integrity about that. It's like, there is no more Led Zeppelin. We could pretend, um, you know, and you would think, you know, and they have had situations, I believe where Jason Bonham sat in later on. Um, but even his son, it's like, no, it's still, it's not John. It's not, you know, the band is no more. Um, and whatever issues they had with Ace and, um, and Peter Chris, you know, who knows? There's been all kinds of stories. But, you know, there was a part of me, bless you, that was like kind of like giving creatures, creatures of the night a chance um, because there there is a little bit on there where it almost felt like, oh, maybe they're kind of working back uh, to cool again. Um, but in the end, when, you know, with, like with with Kiss, like if more than anything, if you don't have Ace Freely, like, what are you doing? It was like the whole band, in my all, opinion. All the power there was... There he is sitting up on, on the top of my desk. I was going to say, above the vinyl collection that we actually pull from is an Ace Freely action figure. Yep. He's <laughs> got his Marshall and everything. There it is. I'm pretty sure that's one of the Marshalls that goes up to 11. These go to 11. Yeah, he got it from Spinal Tap. <laughs> they used to tour with Spinal Tap. Tons. I would believe that. <laughs> that era, absolutely. Yeah, that would have been a band Spinal Tap would have done well with. They could have done Stonehenge with them. I think. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, my gosh. A classic. Ace Freely. All the magic of Kiss was in his boots. I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> but that's also a tough situation, too, because you're not only replacing one guy, you're replacing two, right? So... There's only so many members of the band, and I'm I'm with you in general that if someone passes away or leaves, it's like, well, just call it something else because it's not what it it was. But when it is someone as instrumental as Ace, um, you know, it almost seems even more egregious. But what they ended up making all of their money off of off of that point was the identity of Kiss that they just held on to and held on to and held on to to the point where it became 
a pop culture staple and then a little bit of a pop culture joke like god these guys will get endorsed by anything yeah (laughs) well has there ever been at least in either of our lifetimes or in even the recent past prior to that someone who created and and this is an important thing i think to talk about and it's funny because as much as like I think I brought this up with you with Noga Eras. So when I saw her band performing on on um, Kimmel, I think I had mentioned to you that I really liked the aesthetic of the band. Um, and that's not something that I usually talk about because I usually get so angry at the fact that people put so much importance on like a visual aesthetic because I'm just like, well, shouldn't it be about the music first and the reason why Noga Eris is a perfect example is it is about the music first you know I heard the record first and I loved it and then I saw the band and they it's just this really this is very very unique visual aesthetic I had never seen before and I just loved the way it worked and um, it didn't try <clears throat> too hard like it just well I like think that's where away. a lot of it comes from is when it can be authentic and when it can be something that's unique but from happening because of natural reasons, not being forced, you know, and that's most of the visual aesthetics that I see that people go nuts over. They drive me crazy because that's what I get is I get this feeling of total fake plastic bullshit, you know, and I, and I get into this whole thing where I'm like, how does the rest of the world not see what I'm seeing and whatever. Um, And, you know, a lot of cases as well, I'm like, you should put the record on because you realize that the actual job they're trying to do, they suck at, (laughs) you know. Um, But, um, you know, as far as as far as a brand, a visual and just um, um, representation of what your music is and how how you present that. um, I don't know if I can think of any band, if you think like to the simplicity of their name. To the simplicity, yet the the unbelievable like logo. Yes. To the way that they created characters for each individual of the band, and that there was a um, um, there was a common theme that unified all four characters, but each character at the same time had their unique qualities. And, and how perfectly they kind of did that. Um, and it's kind of fun to to look at the evolution of that. When you look at this album, the the self-titled, and you see Peter Chris's. I actually, there's a part of me that almost likes his early makeup almost a little better. Maybe it's because it reminds me of this album. But if you look at Peter Chris's makeup on this record, and then by the time you get to maybe even Dressed to Kill, you know, you look and you go, wow, like, you know, uh, you could tell that they're thinking about it every step of the way. How can we make this, you know, closer and closer to the brand that we want to represent, that we can put on action figures and posters and T-shirts and wristbands and hats? I mean, I really honestly don't know if I've if there's ever been a music act that has been such an enormous brand. Can you think of anyone? No, because I guess the second closest that pops to mind is Rolling Stones with the tongue, but like it's still not even anywhere near close. See, I and say. I think I think who's bigger than that is the Dead. Sure, yes. you know, but even them, not close, not close. Yeah. Um, 
but the dead have done a good job, you know, I mean, you know, and, and, and that still has carried on. Like you still see, you know, 12 year olds who don't listen to them wearing, you know, a dancing bear shirt, uh, or something. Um, they, they've done, they did a really, and it's so ironic if you think about what the dead always seem to want to stand for. <laughs> and, and then their shirts at, are at like H&M or whatever. Yeah. 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 And they're like $35 for, you know, for a, a tie-dye t-shirt, you know, uh, it's a little bit of irony in there, but, um, you know, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I, because I feel like with my personal work that I have a desire now for the first time ever to dig into what the visual um, representation of, of my art is. And I guess from that, I've started to think about uh, visual aesthetics that I've enjoyed throughout my life. And, um, you know, I think maybe one of my favorites, if not my favorite, to a degree, is Tool. But the funniest thing about it is I hate their name. <laughs> I feel like it's so unrepresentative of what they do. Um, and I don't I, I don't know why. Um, but, because they're not tools. <laughs> well, you know, people... I'm trying to even remember when people started being called tools... And I don't think, I mean, you figure they got together in like 1989 or 88 or something like that. Um, I don't remember the word tool being used as a, in a negative connotation for another human was a thing then. <clears throat> and it makes me wonder, well, maybe they're just like using that simple, simple, simple term tool. And if that's the case, I like it more. <laughs> but you're right. I think it is what that word has become when somebody's a tool. You know, now and then I kind of can't help but associate that with with their name, even though that is so far from what their brand is to me. But their visual, everything else about their visual aesthetic, it blows my mind. <clears throat> and they were smart enough, you know, to, you know, that's all from Alex Gray and a combination of Alex Gray and Adam Jones. Um, but start en smart enough to realize, like, um, you know, consult consult reach out you know um but you have to be at a at a particular level where you can afford to you know that that comes with some money you know but going back to the kiss logo it's s's that look like lightning bolts and that's pretty like that's it's so simple but like it also works so well especially with the self-titled to me like it it all clicks together so perfectly because it is, like we were saying, like some incredible riffs, but like pretty much straight up the middle rock and roll. So like having something that simple that can be essentially that widespread, I think, is something that is awesome. And what you were saying about the face paint before is like, I love that, too, because even though it's kind of gimmicky, <laughs> it fits. Yeah, but it wasn't really. Yet. Yeah, it, it just felt like. um when you see pictures of it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's just like who they are. And I feel like if I was a kid during that time, wouldn't you want to? I would have strong opinions the same way that I would have a strong opinion on which Ninja Turtle I was or whatever, like about whose face paint was cool and why. And 
Yeah. Oh, you're still good. Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, oh, te- technical difficulty there. But I would, I feel like I would um, certainly, one thing that's cool about kind of like a persona or a character like they presented was your ability to align yourself with someone in the band. And I think that's really, that I think is really fun, especially if you're a little bit younger, because like if music is supposed to be this thing where you see yourself outside of yourself, which for me is some of the most powerful magic of music. It's kind of cool that that continues to like the aesthetic as well. Cause I know I would have had like opinions when I first heard it and saw them, I think. Yeah. I, um, you know, and a lot of people will talk about like, was it gimmicky or whatever? Like shortly after they became a thing. And you know, this is another thing people forget about. There was T-Rex who was doing a lot of, face makeup and and you know a lot of people say was like sort of that first glam guy um and there was david bowie who really didn't start doing that until after kiss uh which is interesting you know with the ziggy stardust stuff i'm pretty sure that was that was kind of right after they 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 came out um and um so you know, whether this makes you hate them more or at least or, or maybe respect them a little bit. I mean, they were the first, you know, really to do it that full fledged. We're putting some makeup on and we're wearing costumes on stage. And this whole thing is a, you know, a visual uh, is visual theater as well as audio audio theater, if you will. <laughs> um you know, that was, uh, like I said, T-Rex was doing it to, to a degree. I mean, you know, I guess you could argue, but then again, you know, that was maybe around this time or a little later too. Somebody like, what's his name? Uh, school's out for uh, Alice Cooper, you know, but not to quite to that extent either. Um, but, you know, um, got to get credit for being certainly the first full band to do this kind of, you know, I guess if you want to call it a gimmick, but is it a gimmick if it's something that really hadn't been done? For sure. And I think it's when you go as far as to create kind of characters in this way too, it's more of a visual expression because it's done incredibly intentionally with multiple layers versus like I put face paint on to look cool or (laughs) or whatever. So like the fact that they had created, it was more like full fledged identities within that. Um, yeah, it's visual theater. Yeah. You know, it's it's not I'm going to um, put eyeliner on and more chicks are going to check me out at the show or something. This is like, <laughs> you know, which is why you wear eyeliner. Right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, you know, this it's more like, it, it, you know, how how can we um, how can we raise the level of entertainment value? And, you know, that was the way that they did it at the time. And, you know. I, I personally think it worked. You know, when you listen to, like, we, you mentioned Kiss Alive, too. I mean, as far as a live album, there's definitely no live album. The, I would say the one that I listened to second to that is probably Live After Death, Iron Maiden, 1985. <laughs> um, uh, but besides that, um, and, and not even besides that, like, I listen to a live two. I listen to a live one a lot as well, but a live two I listen to just. I don't even have it anymore, and that was one I never replaced because that one definitely. 
that one got scratched. That one definitely I listened to a ton. And I was young, too, listening to it. So I'm sure I was taking fantastic care of that record. <laughs> um, but you can hear, like, the energy at that point. And I think Alive 2 is a good time because that was they had come out with a couple of what I consider to be actually really good records. And um, to me, the 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 performance still felt like this 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 real thing that was happening um it's a great a great record for people to check out <laughs> i like kiss alive too um <clears throat> but yeah let's talk about what happened do you want to talk about what happened <laughs> well i guess we i guess we do and we inevitably have to <laughs> yeah and you know What's interesting is to think how many bands slash artists had this happen all at the same time, that late 70s, early 80s thing. Mm -hmm. You know, bands like Led Zeppelin, of course, um, um, John Bonham passed away. But I always say this, and it's an unpopular thing. To me, when I listened to In Through the Outdoor, which was their last full studio album, Coda apparently was a bunch of you know, previously recorded tunes that they threw together. Um, I did not hear them going in a good direction. I heard them going. I always tell everybody if John Bonham hadn't passed away, I don't know if I'd like Led Zeppelin right now, because if they kept making albums in the eighties, I don't think I would have liked them because if you listen to what Robert Plant and Jimmy Page did, most of that really kind of, ugh, put me in a in a bad bad spot um and if you listen to the in through the outdoor um i feel like there was like a sort of cheese slash um less balls that was being incorporated into there that i wonder what that would have looked like in 1982 or 19, sure. you know and you know it's funny because i've never really thought about this out loud but if you think about so you, in late 70s right you had um Two things, really, you had, um, and people get mad at me. I mean, I think the disco thing was great. Just like I thought dubstep was great. And I get crapped on for both of them. But my whole thing is like, what the hell's wrong with something new, no matter what it is? Like, I'm not saying I went and, you know, and hung out at dubstep uh, clubs. Like You didn't? <laughs> well, I did. Ugh, everything I know was a lie. I actually did go <laughs> did one, once or twice. Yeah, that's there, actually kind of awesome. Place though. not too far away, and um, I think it was Oksana. I think it was my friend Oksana who was like, you know, oh, let's check, you know, let's check this club out. They they do dubstep, and you know, but my, you know, I never fell in love with it. But my whole thing is like, can we get, can we all please get behind things that are different? Yeah, you know, and it, but so late seventies, you had this disco thing happen, and you also had like the beginnings of hip hop. It was like very very early stages of that. Um, and I think that the combination of those two things are a, had a lot to do with the explosion of um, pop, of what we know today as pop, which really hadn't existed before, like Madonna and Michael Jackson. Um, so I think those are some good things that happened, you know. But I think it also did this strange thing to rock where it kind of really... Um, like mellowed out a lot of it. And, you know, like I said, there were a lot of artists that 
it seemed like that time period is almost like they didn't know what to do. And, um, you know, whether it's true or not, um, the impression that I got of a lot of those bands was that, you know, they're going in the, in the wrong direction, you know, sure. Or that they were trying to figure out a way to hold on, which I don't think is ever a way to be remembered as an artist to be like, oh, well, everything's going in this direction, so I better go and hold on. Um, the few bands, you look at like bands like The Police, right, who kept doing what they were doing, and those are the bands we're talking about today, you know. Uh, we're not talking about Quiet Riot anymore, really, that much, or <laughs> no. Judas Priest, or, you know, uh, a lot of these, like, bands that were kind of doing it in the late 70s, early 80s, um, and just allowed this change and sort of, you know, sort of jumped on, jumped on the train and just took it to wherever it would take them, you know. And um, to your point, the ballsier stuff wasn't on the radio, even when it was being produced, right? Like Metallica wasn't being played on the radio. Oh, right? no. Well, and especially, I mean, you know, I don't think I heard Metallica until maybe even 84, or 85. And that was definitely from... A friend. Gotcha. You know, check this out. Like, you know, they, yeah, they, you know, the first time I remember them being on MTV was one. So you figured that is Injustice for All. So that was what, 88? I love that album. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. Um, I mean, the, the, the sad truth is that they have two iconically legendary records in uh ride the lightning and master of puppets that it's not like you were hearing even even this stuff like you weren't even hearing like welcome to sanitarium which is funny like you you think about that now like it's very listenable um you know maybe in 1986 it was it was a lot more uh you know i guess maybe it had moments but uh, you know, I don't know why the radio stations weren't, you know, they weren't playing that in 1986. They're not playing, you know, battery. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> They're playing that. No. No way. Yeah, they weren't playing that. Um, yeah, Iron Maiden. Yeah, no way. You're not hearing Iron Maiden. And with the, which is funny because they were huge. They were huge. Uh, but again, you know, like you think they're playing in 1983, you think they're playing, you know, 666, the number of the beast on the radio. Jeez, no way. No. And it's a great song. <laughs> uh, and that album is great. And that was 1982. That was I think that was 1982, number of the beast. And, you know, but like, you know, you're not turning on uh, Z100 and, and, and hearing, uh, you, you know, uh, trying to think what else off that album or how it was it hallowed be thy name. I think it was on there, you know. Like you're not hearing those things, you know, so the, and maybe that does have a lot to do with the direction, because maybe people saw people doing new forward thinking stuff that was getting sort of squished for whatever reason. And maybe these artists that had been in these bands that had hung around for a while are, are thinking, well, we need to figure out how to maintain our relevancy. You yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to go into some painful experiences. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, Ace and Chris leave. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. It's not great. <laughs> What's not great? 
what's what's coming out after they leave is is just not good um oh from from a musical standpoint the makeup comes off i do have to say i think they were still there for unmask weren't they i think maybe i'm gonna look it up they were still there from unmasked actually yeah so that's interesting too because they became unmasked and they left in 1980 actually shortly after that album came out then so and then music of the elder came as we discussed creatures of the night lick it up animalize um so i remember seeing animalize in a in a record store and i'm i i have a vivid memory of walking in turning seeing it shaking my head and just going what happened yeah because Within a decade, I had gone from absolutely needing anything that they came out with to just shaking my head in disgust when I saw that they had, you know, released something. And, you know, that that's that 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 is pretty that was pretty damaging, I guess. It is. It's a major bummer. Um, I will say this. I, I remember in the documentary that came out about the Eagles, there was a line in it about how any rock band is on the essentially on the verge of breaking up at any point like you put four or five guys in a band (laughs) that all have a creative opinion or most of them at least do you're always on the verge of breaking up basically at any second and then when the core members or what it feels like are the core writers of that band leave that can lead to some not great music coming out but I gotta say for a band where people left because of creative differences and not because somebody passed away or it's just one guy leaving like two foundational members of the band. They maintained a career for a long time after. And they had like, I mean, just not albums that I liked, but music from the elder was 81 creatures of the night was 82. Lick it up was 83 animal Eyes was 84 asylum. 85 crazy nights. 87. Hot in the Shade, 89. Revenge, 92. Alive, 3, 93. I mean, they just kept coming out with albums. Well, that was Gene. I mean, Gene is a business wizard. You know, there's no other way to put it. And, uh, you know, as far as creative input, I do get the feeling from what I've heard that I think he and Paul were the, were the majority of the songwriters. Oh, okay. Um but there were definitely like some of my favorite songs that um, <clears throat> that even uh, a sung on, you know. Uh, so he definitely wrote a lot of the stuff. But you know, um, you know, and Peter Chris wrote like Beth. I mean, Beth is Jeez. you know <laughs> one of my favorites. I'm pretty sure he wrote it. I know he sung it. So, um, so yeah, there was a, there was a collaboration. But you know, I think. You know, you had two guys that were already fully capable of writing, you know, and spitting out tunes. Um, I don't get the feeling that it was creative differences. I think it was financial differences. I, I you know, that's the feeling that I've gotten from what I've read over the years is, you know, uh, I think the biggest thing was I think Gene started the whole thing. Sure. And there is something to say. And I've been in these positions, too, on a much smaller, slightly smaller scale. <laughs> Where, you know, if you're starting to like have a little success or things are going pretty cool and then all of a sudden people forget. And I've, you know, typically been the gene 
I've typically been the guy that it doesn't matter what everybody's doing. It's like, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, I'm the guys, I'm the guy who put those people in the room together and, you know, put the time in to organize those things and to organize the rehearsals. And, you know, um, um, you, you know, I get the feeling that a lot of the visual marketing came out of Gene's head and, you know, people get pissed and I never understood why. You know, when somebody who does all the work says, hey, I did all the work. Now they're arrogant. Right. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> How That's about... a really great take on that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, no, he really, you know, and I'm not saying he did it all. Like I said, there are great songs. Some of my favorite songs that Ace wrote. Uh, Beth is one of my favorite songs maybe ever written. And, you know, I think Peter Chris wrote that. And um but, you know, it's definitely widely known that Gene was the guy who put this whole thing together. Um, he was probably the business guy dealing with management. Um, he's dealing with the booking in the beginning. You know, when it was hard and when, when it was a pain in the ass, here's a guy who's taking a brunt of all the shit. And, um, you know, I, I have a feeling it probably got to a point and. People are starting to say, well, I need, you know, more money and I need more of this. And, you know, you can all you can understand that on their end, but you can also understand Gene saying, well, what the frig, dude? I got to do all this goddamn work. And, you know, now you want to share the credit. I don't know. Maybe that's an unpopular opinion. I think a lot of people do want to a ride the coattails of somebody else, but b also get compensated equally. Sure, and it's like that's not that's not the way the world turns, my brother. <laughs> no, it was funny. I was thinking about earlier when we discussed the face paint and whether or not that w- felt gimmicky. It's kind of when the face paint came off that the music felt gimmicky all of a sudden. <laughs> well, it's funny when you talked about unmasked immediately, and I was I was gonna. Uh, I was going to say something, but I talked too much, so I didn't want to interrupt myself because um, I'm sure it was probably me talking because I talked too much. <laughs> um, but when you mentioned Unmask, the first thing I thought was how ironic that the name of that was because they're talking about Unmasked because they they and what's funny is there's no picture of them in the cover. <laughs> so I think what they did is they put pictures like individual pictures without the makeup on inside, I think is what they did. That makes sense. Um, the The album cover of Unmasked is set up like frames of a comic book. Yeah. So it, it isn't pictures of their faces at all, but that would make sense that the inside of that would then look. I think that's what they did. On a mask. Yeah. Because I do remember being like, what do you mean Unmasked? Like almost every other record you have is with you guys in some pose in your makeup <laughs> If you're unmasked, there should be a pose with you without your makeup. Um, And they didn't do that. Um, But I felt like they should have called that record Masked. (laughs) Because um, it almost made me realize, like, how much of them. And this is, is, you know, sometimes art and an explanation or a belief of art can be seem so contradictory. You know, uh, everybody's ready to jump on. And usually I am, too. Anything that seems gimmicky or seems this or that. But it makes you wonder how much of their brand and of their true artwork was the, you know, that makeup and the characters. And if you take that away, um, you know, how inauthentic does it become? And, and, And was that almost a metaphor for what happened to them? 
because it felt like around that time they were searching for ways to be relevant. And I feel like whenever any artist I've ever enjoyed starts to feel like they're doing that, you know, and you talked about how many records they sold. Well, that, you know, the the general public, you know, I've done it with bands for many albums, way too many, where I get hooked on the first two, three, four, five, and then it's just, I'm going to purchase it. I mean, Radiohead did it to me like four or five times. <laughs> Truly. You know, they, they came out with uh, Hail to the Thief, and I bought it. and went, Ugh. You know, they came out with In Rainbows, and I and the, you know, then it was uh, what King of Limbs. Ugh. Mm, you yeah. know, now luckily I still bought Moon Shaped Pool, and I love it. You know, but that's the other thing people forget is like, if you're a Kiss fan in you know 1980, you're you're gonna buy music for the elders. Like I bought it. Sure. <laughs> you know, you're gonna buy Unmasked, <laughs> which came before I bought it. You know, you, you know the last one I bought was Creatures of the Night. I. I remember that was actually that might have actually been the last vinyl. Oh, man. So you missed out on Lick It Up. I remember actually being really angry at Lick It Up. I don't know exactly why. I knew for some reason not like to stay the hell away from that. Um, But then Creatures of the Night. You might know. it have had to do with this album color cover that you well did. it was what 1983 <laughs> or 84 83 that yeah. is true i mean that felt just like normal then <laughs> i mean uh what's his name billy joel came out with an album looking just like that what, yep. what, what album was that uh jesus i can't think of it uh yeah that was that was 1983 i mean you know uh what's that band that george loves Hall Notes? Yeah, Hall Notes. I mean, tell me that doesn't look like a Hall Notes. That's, ex- that's, that's that's probably at the epitome fair. of their of their fame right there. And Huey Lewis in the News, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I think Innocent Man album covers. Is, what is that the one I'm thinking of? That guy. Um, it might be the one after that. I was gonna say, are you thinking of Glass Houses? No. Huh. Oh, all right. What's the one after Glass Houses? Your face is a glass house. That's actually the name of it, is Your Face is a Glass House. I love that album. Songs in the Attic. Okay. I must be thinking of a picture and not an album cover. That's possible. But anyway, back back to Kiss. Um, Kiosk. Kiosk. So we're going to get in the track listing in just a moment, but I do... Lactristing. The, the lactristing. I've been tying up my words a little bit today. That <laughs> actually threw me off. There were two quick points that i i wanted to touch on before we do dive into it one which is they have been incredibly successful from an industry standpoint i'm not gonna say an artistic one um (laughs) from vacillating between the ballsy sound that we heard the sex drugs rock and roll to love ballads to love ballads to this happier chipper I would say cheesy, you would say cheesy kind of sound. And it it is impressive to me, though not the means to the end that they took to get there, maybe, that they were kind of able to ride both sides of that coin successfully for multiple albums. It's not like they did one ballsier album. Like, they had a couple of that, like, more pure rock and roll sound and a lot of the sellout stuff as well. But, like... 
that that is something that struck me as I was listening to their discography stuff I liked and stuff I didn't like was they managed to really make it in in a sense on both the the gutsier stuff and the chipper happier stuff and I I can't remember people sustaining success on both sides of that coin a ton. Hmm. Yeah, well, maybe that's me trying to do cartwheels to justify it or something, but <laughs> Well, again, I think because um you know, anybody who's around my age or a little older. Um so I guess anybody who's between like, you know, 46 and 51 at 90 point, and 104. I would think they just they just grabbed our hearts when we were way too little. Um, so I don't know too many people that are my age, you know, I don't think many of us are, it's not like I'm usually throwing kiss on. Right. Um, but you know, uh, I, I don't think that there are too many people between that. Like I said, that 46 to 51 age group that are like, um, and the reason why I say that age group is because we were young, you know, like five to 10 listening to. Uh, kiss and you know get you know they were scary but they were so cool and um and there were so many ways that we could display the pride uh whether it was owning an action figure or wearing a t-shirt or wearing a hat or wristband or having stickers on our walls or posters and um that i don't think there are too many people in that age group that that wouldn't at least entertain the idea of going and seeing a show um you know, of course, I would go there and want them to play rock and roll all night in Detroit Rock City and stuff like that. I don't want to hear them play anything from Lick It Up or Animalize, <laughs> which obviously they're going to they're going to throw that stuff in there. But um, I, I nostalgia, think that's though. We've talked about that before, too, that that might be. Well, that's a, what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah is, you know, um, you, you know, this was for me, it was like. It was like lar- larger than life. Like they were larger, larger than life. Um, you know, until Michael Jackson uh, became, a, you know, and I was, I always liked the Jackson five and everything, but you know, and I liked off the wall. I mean, that's still sometimes I think is my favorite, but until he did thriller and just completely like lit an atomic bomb on the entertainment industry you know, uh, I don't think there was anything larger, you know, larger in, in my mind than Kiss, you know. Sure. Yeah. Because everything else was pretty much dead. Pink Floyd wasn't really playing at the time, you know. They weren't really done. But then we found out later they kind of were. They were just try- trying to <laughs> keep things together. Um, you know, they had done the wall and the wall was obviously absolutely tremendous. But, um, you know, Led Zeppelin was done. Um, you know, there were, there were a lot of, there were a lot of, um, people selling records and stuff, but as far as like, you know, taking your body and soul is like, Kiss had done that to us. (laughs) So, you know, I, you know, I don't think you saw too many kids 10 years younger than me becoming Kiss fans. Right. I don't really think you saw that. Um, so I think most of the people buying those records, going all the way up until not that long ago were people my age going, maybe they did it this time. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's cool. Oh, maybe it's cool. Or maybe not even caring and just being, maybe not even listening to it, just adding it to, again, going to their aesthetic, 
adding it to their Kiss collection. Sure. Oh, I got to get the music of the elders, even though it sucks. Put it here (laughs) next to my, you you know, Peter Chris playing drums, you know. Sure. Um, But yeah, that's that. So the other thing that I wanted to bring up before we dive into the track listing is they have three live albums and they all kind of came at natural chapters of this book or close to where you had the kiss self-titled hotter than hell dressed to kill and then you had a live and then you had destroyer rock and roll all over love gun and then you had a live too now dynasty came out after that but then it was unmasked music from the elder creatures of the night lick it up animalize asylum crazy nights hot in the shade Revenge, Alive 3, where it was like that run all kind of felt the same. It was just interesting to me that they did their live ones in what felt like kind of more natural breaks. Um, See, I look at that and I think contract. Oh, of course, yeah. Those were probably four record deals. And they probably didn't have a fourth record. The <laughs> but, first two, I'm saying. Yep, that so, makes sense. Oh, okay. We got a fourth record. We don't have a fourth oh. record. So let's release this live thing. <laughs> that that makes total sense <clears throat> because i'm sure they were touring after each one of those records you know Had to, yeah for sure right yeah that is fun let's dive into the track list the trickly golden we don't have fun music for that like we did the lightning round but we'll get there <laughs> uh, the track listing track list. <laughs> thank you thank you okay so it starts off with this stinker I'm just kidding. This is one of my favorite Kiss songs ever. Strutter is just like everything that Kiss has done right. (laughs) Top 10 guitar riff maybe ever written. So good. Nothing to lose. Oh, I love nothing to lose. Yeah. Just so much groove. I was driving to it today and I was like, I could drive to the song all day. Firehouse. Underrated. I'd, I'd say so too. Cold gin. Cold gin. That's, I mean, uh, between Strutter, Cold Gin, you're going to get there. We got a couple Let more. Let Me Know. Let Me Know is a good song. Kissing Time. Kissing Time's good. Deuce. Yeah, there's the other one. There it is. That's just like, girl. It is. It is like girl. <laughs> oh, and there's one more that's just like, yeah. Yep. Uh, love Theme from Kiss. Which is great. 100,000 Years. That's underrated. underrated. And then it closes on Black Diamond. That's the other one. There it is. Between Just rock Strutter, and roll. Like, I love Between it. Strutter and Cold Gin and uh, Deuce and Black Diamond, I think those are the four best Kiss songs ever written. And they're all on the first album. And those are four songs that I would still put in, like, a playlist today and, like, rock my face out to on the tread. On the, on the mill of the tread variety. <laughs> on the mill of the tread variety. You heard it here first. Badishakusha. I don't know what that means. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Save it because we're about to swing. Oh, no, no, no. Right. Oh, gosh. In to the lightning round. I don't have my amp on. Yeah, yeah. Wayne's world. You do have your beautiful... Blonde American strat in your hand. Her name is Heather. Don't just talk about her, her like she's a thing. Her name is Heather. She is a guitar. 
She's a really nice guitar. And a really she doesn't drive a car. Because, you know, she's a guitar. Guitars don't usually drive. Wait, really? Jason! Unless you have an overdrive pedal. <laughs> Guys, I am so sorry for this whole podcast. Distortion? No, I get the distortion doesn't work. Jason. It's a wah pedal. You put the doesn't really drive. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Hey, Kate. Hey. The lightning round. <laughs> if there is one thing you want listeners to take away from this episode in this band, what is it? <laughs> well, I think that you should definitely go and listen to this first album and realize that Regardless of the fact that in a lot of ways, they're almost like a clownish joke when you look at them in 2021, that it started from a place where there was really something that was a little different. It had some balls and, and um, you know, it's something to celebrate. Um, also, there's the fact that um, I don't know, just because something becomes a very annoying thing. And when I say that, I mean, you know, things like gimmicky, uh, you know, face makeup and, and uh and, you know, glorified visual effects and things like that. Um, and yes, I am the king, as you know, of being completely annoyed by that when I think it's all bullshit. But we have to remember that it comes from a place where there was, you know, there were people doing it for the first time. And I did not take away from people like T-Rex. Um, but, you know, this was the whole band. This was a unified, very calculated, artistic, visual uh, you know, artwork that was put together um, and developed over years. And, you know, we have to we have to give credit to, to what it is. You know, uh, to me, when I hate something, I never hate something strongly if it's the first time I'm seeing it or if the first time it's, it exists. What really gets under my skin is when I hear, like, for instance, I get, like, the Screamo today. They have, like, 450,000 different terms for the same shit that I heard Crowbar and Sepultura doing in 1989. It's like, that's the kind of stuff that gets me mad. And those people think that they're really doing something that has this amazing, you know, secretive integrity. And you're like, no, dude, you're doing the same thing that dudes my age were doing in 1989, except, you know. Or even to piggyback on top of that, if you, there's a difference between hating, hating something, uh, hating something, like if it's something you hate, but it sparks a like an emotion, like a real reaction versus hating it because like hating it with apathy because you've seen it before and heard it before and blah, blah, blah. Like at least they made a choice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at least if you don't like it, you can at least appreciate or respect it for the fact that it is new and different and they were the first to do it maybe. So there is that aspect of it too, of if you're having a reaction to it. At least you're having a reaction to it. That's, yeah, that's a lot of people say I don't necessarily buy into that only because the shit that really makes me angry oftentimes is because, you know, a, a, a good amount of people are, are, are buying into it. And it breaks my heart because I feel like these artists are a joke and they're fooling people. Um, and so um, I don't know if they should be proud of that hatred you know um hate me or love me you know at least you're paying attention oh fuck that i no, want to make I good mean, art from yeah from like the art the art 
actual artistic standpoint where it's like you're provoking an emotion with something that's actually art not an imitation not being proud of pulling the wool over someone's eyes yeah but i hear you on that i would say uh i would i would say lean into jason's take about gene simmons maybe not being arrogant and maybe just being the guy that was doing the most work i know like you know i i experienced that in in my personal life a million and i'm not talking about just me talking about being in situations where I am fully aware that somebody is doing the majority of the work. And I feel like what's interesting to watch, and in, in, in this is something for people to think about and think about how they react to these things in their lives. You know, it's interesting. You know, I've seen it where I was, um, you know, managing teams when I worked in, in, uh, in, in sales and in healthcare and things like that. Where you see this kid, this young 22, 23-year-old kid that, you know, I had hired who's doing really well. And and obviously, if they're doing well, they're going to get accolades uh, for it. And you see the way they're treated. And oftentimes, what surprises me is you don't see a change in work ethic or you don't see any learning happening. You don't see the guy next to him going, oh, dude, this dude's getting here at 6 o'clock in the morning every day and staying until, you know, 7 o'clock at night and coming in on Saturday mornings. Maybe I'll do that. You'll just see a lot of shit talk and a lot of jealousy. And it's completely illogical. <laughs> it's completely illogical. And I don't know where it comes from and what, what you know, what sort of constitution you have you have to have. But I'm sure that, you know, that happens a lot um, with situations, you know, where here's this act that wouldn't have the success it has. And there's one person, I'm not saying that other people aren't working hard, but that person, you know, in a lot of ways is putting everybody on their back. And then when they get to where they arrive, all of a sudden everybody else wants the credit and it's not fair. You know, it doesn't make you arrogant if you actually stand up and say, wait, dude, I did the work. (laughs) Yeah, and you actually did the work. Yeah. 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 I'm with you on that. What is one album listeners of this podcast should absolutely listen to aside from this one? For me, it's Dynasty. Dress to Kill's right there, though. Yeah, I think either either of those two. Both. I Let's might say I both. might go with Dynasty, though. I might because I. I would have said Dress to Kill until this last couple of weeks when we were preparing, and I and I listened to them both a lot. And there was something really nostalgic about Dynasty, maybe because it's the last album that I really loved when I was a kid. And it's also the first one I actually remember coming out. Oh, that's awesome. Because that was like 79, I think, right? And I, yes. I, I like literally remember that coming out. I was four, and I remember it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's why I just like love, I, 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 when I'm going back and listening to it, I was really, I was digging that. I just like it a little bit better, but both are definitely worth your time. So if, if we can say, I mean, a lot of those old ones, Destroyer, (laughs) um, rock and roll all over. Yeah. Um, like I said, uh, was it, uh, what's the hell one? Uh, uh, I always want to say highway to hell, but it's not because that's ACDC. What the hell? The second album. I'm going to pull it up the right now so that I don't get it wrong. What the freaky diggy is it called? I can't remember. I can't remember. It's kind of let down a little bit on that Hotter one. Hotter than hell. Hotter than hell. Hotter than hell. Love the cover. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. But, like, you know, a little underwhelming compared to 
Dress to Kill coming out right after it. I'm like, that's where I go to. Can you think, gosh, this is a tough question. Can you think of another band that has been influenced by this album or artist? Yeah, I mean, every single 80s band. I was going to say, kind of all of them that were right there. Yeah. Like every every single, not the good ones. <laughs> and that's the strange part. And that's why I think it's important we did this podcast. Because just because a movement that is created, it sucks, doesn't mean that the person who started the movement or the people that began it sucked. You know, I'm sure there was a period of time towards the end of the classic movement where people were getting sick and tired of people playing friggin' Mozart and sounding like Mozart. You know, and the beef oven comes around and, you know, sort of, you know, and I always I like to think in those ways because I like to always I think it's important as an artist to realize that things change, but they stay the same, too. Sure. Um, And it gives you an opportunity to go back and listen to Beethoven and have the same kind of respect and the same kind of admiration that you have for you know kiss yeah and um you know uh i think it's uh i think it's a shame that um there's not a little bit more celebrated about what they did in the beginning um and you know i think that a lot of people that are my age especially people that are my age where you were 15 when like nirvana came out you know it's easy to go oh they and everything about it sucked you know, sure. prior to 1990. But, um, you know, um, you know, th- that just like everything else, I mean, they, they did it to Nirvana and all of them too. the record companies did it to them too, with bands like Creed. And, you know, they did it again within a decade, you know, you had bands like Kiss and Def Leppard and Motley Crue and, and bands like that in the, in the early eighties that ended up just getting, you know, overblown and, then, you know, by 87, you got, you know, you got Poison and you got Tesla and White Lion and, you know, every single, you know, cock rock band you can you could ever imagine. And then, you know, a couple of years later, all that stuff is completely erased because now you have this new art. Um, and within five years of that, they did the same thing. It took less time. They did it in less time. They ruined what they had created which is an interesting thing. And it makes you think about, well, how smart are these people with all the, with all the bean bags in their pocket, all the, the, the green backs, how smart are they really just because you have the money and the, the, the power to make decisions doesn't mean that you know what decisions to make. Um, and it, you just see it over and over. It gets repeated over and over again. We never learn an underrated song or album. Whoo. Let's assume that the listeners have listened to a lot of Kiss. Let's assume that they've heard those earlier stuff. Because I feel like we can say all of these earlier albums in a sense. Is there one even within that earlier grouping that you still feel is underrated? I don't know. Because we talked about... I don't know how they're rated now, you know? Yeah, that's that's tough. I think maybe this one could, you know, the self-title could be the most underrated because I don't know how many people, you know, you said it before. It's like, go back and listen to that album. (laughs) Like they were just a brand new rock band doing something that was a little different. Um, And like I said, there are four tunes on there that are like legendary. tunes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, you know, 
I would say each album, even Hotter Than Hell, because I forget what tune it is, but there's a tune on Hotter Than Hell, one of the one of the great ones. You know, like the first five or six albums, whatever it is, there are there's at least one where you're like, this is a really great friggin' song, you know? Um, I would agree because I think there's some people who probably only know Strutter. So I feel like if you don't know Black Diamond and Deuce, like, it's definitely Cold Gin. Pro- probably people know Strutter and Cold Gin, but I feel like there's some people that don't realize, like, there's some other great, great songs that are still great right now. Yeah. I would say. I could, I still, this album, I did not, it did not feel like work no. going back and listening to it. It was fun to go back and listen to. No, so. and oh gosh, anytime I had it on in the car, I was like, oh, this is the best. Look at Some of the others, including Dynasty, which I, like I said, I think is a lot of nostalgia. Like there was a little bit of, oh God, <laughs> even though it's like, I love it because- you know, uh, but this this one doesn't do that to me. I listened to it all the way through. I'm like, this is just a great this is a great record all the way through. Songs or albums you can't stand by this band. Is I, there one you can't stand the most? <laughs> no, I mean they're all equal. You know, from the moment that they did Unmasked, everything forward. You know, I thought Creatures of the Night for a second. I thought they were taking a step back towards what I was gonna dig, but no, they didn't. Now they never they never came back for me, and you know I just don't care enough to know. You know to know, the difference between animalize and lick it up, or I, I just don't give a shit. Oh, you didn't read my thesis. Like I get it now. I, it sucks. <laughs> you know, I don't <laughs> need to sit down for yeah. Well, I don't need to sit down for forty five minutes of animalize to know it sucks. <laughs> God bless you, because there are people that give a lot of their time and mental energy to albums that make them miserable and things in life that just do in general. But <laughs> Jason, that concludes our lightning round. Back at the shack at the shoogie. and it it concludes our episode for this week so thank you so much for tuning in we'll be back at it next week and we'll see you then (gasps) bye